Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. This podcast series called Philippians, How to Have Joy, was recorded from September to October of 2021, a sermon series by Preset Ministries National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local Ontario church. Now let us listen to Mark's message as he takes us into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where through scripture we can discover how to have joy. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your presence right now to to sing about the victory that is found on the cross. Father, we're so thankful that by your grace and by your mercy, you sent your son, Jesus, who was perfect in heaven to become a man, to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. And Father, we know through that great sacrifice that we became children of God because we have repented of sin and believed in his name and the work that he has done. So, Father, help us in this moment now as we look to your word. Help us to focus in on what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, Take away anything that uh, might be a distraction for us that we can solely focus on you through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. I'm glad you said good. I hate for you to say, oh, today's just a terrible day. I have no joy in my life, right? Uh, Wrong wrong time to be doing that. Uh, Listen, we are um, coming to the end of the book of Philippians. And uh, as sad as that is, that's what happens when it's only four chapters long. But I wanted to, as we dig into the word uh, this morning, I want to bring back some friends of mine that we had from the very beginning of the uh, series. Do you remember these guys? Okay, so wait, let's let's test you for a minute and young children, help us out here. Uh, The red guy, what was the feeling that he had? He's angry. All right, what about um, the purple guy? What, what was his feeling? Fear, right? Okay, then uh, the, the, green, the green girl, I compared that one to my teenage daughters look at me sometimes. Which one is that? That is disgust, all right? So we've got anger, fear, and disgust. And can we figure out what that blue one is? Sad. That's the sad one, right? So uh, we've got anger, fear, sadness, and disgust. And then, of course, we've got one left, which is the whole theme of our, our study, right? Is what? Joy. Is what? Joy. Oh, yeah. You all need to realize that we've been looking at how to have joy. All right, so uh, where I wanted to take us with these guys is we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. I would title the top of this picture, The Life of a Toronto Maple Leaf Fan, <laughs> right? So uh, if you, uh, like me, are a Leaf fan, this, this would have been the first four games, right? Now you know, you know, Leaf fans, where we are right now right? We are right here with joy, but don't worry. All these other ones are coming soon. Okay, I promise they will be back. Uh, That is a guarantee. Uh, I was watching last night going, oh, 4-1 lead on Boston. This is amazing. Never seen anything go wrong with that before, have we? (laughs) Yes, we have. Okay, so here we go. We're going to walk through this text. You can pull that picture down if you want, because what those people, all those reactions right there, fear, sadness, disgust, anger, and joy, they're all circumstantial, all right? All of those feelings that are coming out of us with that right there, they're all based on the circumstances that we face. 
That's why we can compare it to being a Leaf fan because these are the things we go through based on what's happening around us. All right, so this is the same thing that happens to you and I when we are just living out day in and day out our lives. All right, we go through these feelings based on our circumstances. All right, so, but what we have been looking at is we have been looking at how to have joy that is outside of the circumstances that we face, all right? This joy that we've been talking about is a positional joy that can only be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. This is so vital for us as we get into chapter 4, and so I'll be walking with you through chapter 4 this week and next week, and of course, uh, we're going to look at one main subject today and then two subjects next week. All right, so what I want to do is I want to summarize the whole book of Philippians for you uh, before we get to chapter four. All right, so if you have no plans for lunch, this is the best day for that. All right, Brian asked me, he's like, delay the vote as long as possible. That's what he was saying. Okay, here's what we want to look at. Chapter one, okay, it's all about the mind. This entire letter to the Philippians is about the mind. It's about right thinking. All right, and right thinking that comes through joy. All right, it's all about biblical thinking and looking through the biblical lens and a biblical worldview and having an understanding of how to live with joy in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. I, again, I say rejoice. Paul, what he does is he breaks down in this letter a number of ways in which we need to train the mind, all right? So chapter one, if you are taking notes, chapter one is all about being single-minded, all right? We talked about that, Jesus, others, you. The goal is to focus on Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, which is all about being unified, all right? We talked about unity, uh, in the first number of weeks that we came through. All right, so chapter one is about being single-minded and single-focused with Jesus as our main goal and his gospel going forward as our mission. All right, chapter two. Chapter two, again, attacks the mind, but it talks about the mind as being a submissive mind. All right, so if you look at chapter two quickly, it tells you, that these are the things that you've got to get rid of in your life to be of the same mind of Christ, all right? And to be unified together. You've got to get rid of all this garbage that's being talked about in here, uh, including grumbling and all of these selfish and empty things. And the example is Jesus, all right? So the example is that Jesus humbled himself and so you too need to have the submissive mind where you are to humble yourself before the Lord and be humble towards others. Chapter three. Chapter three's focus on the mind is that you must have a spiritual mind. All right, so uh, Pastor Mark walked us through chapter three uh, parts and he talked about how we must pursue the prize. All right, so it's all about Christ-likeness. So in chapter 3, only focusing on the spiritual mind. Now, here's the thing. Number 4, which we're going to get into now, is impossible to obtain without the first three. All right? You cannot obtain chapter 4's mindset without first being single-minded and then second, being submissively minded, and then third, being spiritual minded. So what we're going to look at for the next two weeks is a mind that is secure. Okay, so what we're going to walk through today is looking at what does the secure mind look like. And it's actually going to take us two weeks. Uh, we're only really going to touch on three verses this morning. <clears throat> Uh, but we'll cover up until um, chapter uh, 4, verse 7. All right, so let me give them to you again. One, single-minded, submissively-minded, okay, humble, 
And then third, spiritual-minded, one whose focus is pressing on toward the prize of Christ-likeness. And now this week, secure mind. All right, we're going to start where Pastor Mark uh, left us off with the therefore. All right, because I want you to see something important that he even brought out last week that we just need to bring again as we bring us through these first few verses. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I am long to see, uh, my joy and crown in this way. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, so here, here's what we want to look at first. Look what he calls this church. Remember, I told you at the very beginning of this entire series about how much Paul loved this church. Uh, we know that Paul is in prison for, for uh, the gospel, and so he's separated from them. But he calls them his joy and his crown. His prized possession, which brings him such great joy, and he loves to see that they are standing firm in the Lord. All right, this, this, is, this is vital for us to see because in spite of all circumstances, they are standing firm. Uh, these, these, there's four things we want to look at as we walk through this that are outside of the actual text I want to cover today, but it's important to know that this church is standing firm in the Lord. There's a lot of in the Lord's repeated in the first few verses. Now look at verse 2. All right, verse 2, he says, I urge Judah and, and I urge uh, Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Do you see it? The first one uh, for us to really be people who stand in the presence of the Lord, to live in the presence of the Lord, we need to stand firm in the Lord. And then he says it's important for the, these two women to live in harmony. At the center is the Lord. All right, so uh, quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these first three verses, but scholars believe that these two women were a part of the women who were at the river when Paul first came to Philippi and were, was praying with Lydia. So these two women were a vital part of building the church, and for some reason, they're currently not living in harmony, but Paul is telling the church to deal with these two people and to get them back into unity together. Look what he says about them in verse 3. Indeed, the true indeed, true companion, all right, so this is probably one of the elders in the church who was receiving this letter. I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's telling them He's telling this elder that he needs to come alongside these women and tell them they need to live in harmony. Can you see what's happening in the previous chapters? We've got in the previous chapters, we need to stand firm. We need to, we need to be one of one mind, uh, single-minded in unity. And then we need to humble ourselves so that we can press on towards the prize. This is what he's giving an example. And he, Paul trusts this church so much, he's like, just go deal with it. Just go deal with the problem that's there because now I'm going to draw us in to the most important part of this entire message. All right, so what he says first is he, he looks at them and he says, stand firm in the Lord. And the second is live in harmony in the Lord. All right, so let's look now as we walk through these next verses, uh, which comes to our theme verse first. And then comes to our main topic of a secure mind. Are you ready? Okay, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, hopefully you're all still awake with me because we're early on in this, right? Okay, just, just look at the text. Look at the text with me for a minute. And I want you to tell me in what circumstances are we to rejoice. Yell it out. 
always, all right? So did you notice that? It doesn't say anything about any of those feelings that are up there. It's always have joy regardless of whatever the circumstances are in your life. We've looked at Paul, and we know that Paul has lived this out in his own life to be able to say that it doesn't matter whether I'm in the highest of highs in my life, where I am in the best days of my life, or when I am in the lowest of lows, rejoice. Why? Because of your position in Jesus Christ. Right? It doesn't matter about the circumstances we face. It's all because of our position in Jesus that we can always rejoice whether our bank account is empty or whether our bank account is full or whether our spiritual bank account is empty or our spiritual bank account is full or whether we've had the worst thing happen to us in our life this week or where we've had the best thing happen, we can always rejoice in the Lord. All right, so the word always is vital to all this because it doesn't say that even in your bad days, you can stop rejoicing in the Lord. It doesn't matter when. Now, look at what he says next because uh, verse five brings us to the idea that showing about how we can do this as a church. All right, so think about uh, stand firm in the Lord, live in harmony in the Lord, and then rejoice in all circumstances, whether good or bad. And then in verse 5, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then what's it say there? What does it say in the text? You tell me, the Lord is what? He is near. Okay, so there's two things we want to look at here. The first is, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In the Greek, this means a sweet reasonableness. What in the world does sweet reasonableness mean? Uh, it means that when I am dealing with other people, uh, specifically like these two women who are, who are not living in harmony, that I am reasonable with others, that I am showing gentleness and mercy when I am interacting with with others. <laughs> this is something that we're really having a hard time seeing in this day, right? Uh, thinking about uh, just even the idea of what we're going through in this pandemic. There, we've talked about the divisions that are happening on the, in the highs and lows of all this, but it's not just that, because there are political divisions where it's getting really hard to deal with certain people when they're sitting in the same church as you. But here he says, be patient, be merciful, and show sweet reasonableness when dealing with others. And when you do that, when you approach others with this sweet reasonableness, you can live in harmony. And now look what he says. Uh, because you, can, you should live this way, he says, the Lord is near. Now, scholars are... Uh, split on the Lord is near. So I'm going to give you both, all right? So I'll give you both views of what, what is said to be this, uh, Lord is near. The first is that the Lord is near as in his presence is with us, all right? So, so if you look at uh, that fact that he says that God is with us now through the Holy Spirit, the Lord is near, the second view of this is live in harmony in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. That he will return one day to, to uh, bring his believers back with him to this mansion that he promises in the gospel. So it's either to live, and it can be both, really. We don't have to really just sit. It can be both, but the Lord is near, that he is present with us, and that he is coming. All right, so now look at, look at what he, Paul talks about. He shows us, really, uh, a few ways to be present in the Lord, okay? Actually, to live in the presence of the Lord, Okay, here they are. Are you ready? These are the ways to live in the presence of the Lord. 
One, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord and in the truth of his word. That's, that's one way to live in the presence. The second is to live in harmony. And the reason is because he is near. All right, this is so important for us as we draw out in these next verses to, to truly understand what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. All right, and when we're in the presence of the Lord, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, do you see it? It's that positional joy that we've been talking about all along. Now, here comes, here comes the tough verses. Why are they tough verses? Because in the world that we live in today, all right, the world that we are living in right now, this is one of the things that is most talked about in our world today. All right, this topic that we're going to walk through now is one of the topics that is at the highest point of discussion in our world today when it comes to mental health. All right, now watch what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. The main focus of our, our, the drive of our text today is verses 4 to 7. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so if you are a note taker, or if you are not a note taker, you are either going to want to go back and listen to this on YouTube, or you're going to want to write some notes right now. Because I'm going to give you uh, some definitions of some words here, uh, and we're going to start with anxious or anxiety, okay? So we, this is something that is discussed all of the time. We're, we're living in a world right now that where people are anxious. We have seen people living in fear for the last two years over this virus, right? We've seen people living in this position. Now we're seeing some anxiousness really come to the forefront, but we're also seeing this topic brought through into sport, and we're seeing it brought in through school, and it's being talked about in, in, in grade school. And then Bell Canada has a, a day focused on how to deal with mental health and all of these struggles. And the Bible has the clear answer for these things. But I want to make you aware before we go any further, I want you to understand this, okay? Listen to this very closely. I am not a Bible counselor. My, my, my skill set is not one of a biblical counselor. Mine is one of a teacher of the word of God, and I'm going to show you what God's word says in how to deal with anxiety. But I want to define anxiety first. Okay, so here's how we're going to define anxiety. And the simple way for us to define it is by two simple body parts. One is the heart, and the second is the mind. All right, so anxiety or anxious feelings come when the heart and the mind are not aligned. All right, so just, just to think about this for a second, I... I had no idea what the purpose was of getting an alignment on your car. Hmm. I just thought you just drive your car and everything will be fine. But then I found out that the importance of an alignment is to get all those tires as aligned so they, so they have the same amount of wear. Is that right? Right? So, so that you, they're aligned and, and your car can, to, can work to its best. You see, here, anxiousness is defined when our heart and our mind are not aligned. Our heart, which is over here, knows our position in Jesus Christ. 
as believers. We know with all of our heart that we are positioned in Jesus because of our relationship with Jesus. But our mind, which is over here, it's doing its own little battle. And it is telling you to respond to all of the circumstances that you see in life. Do you see how they're not, they're not in line? We begin to, when we have those circumstances in our life, they overtake our thought and our thinking on our position. It's when our heart and our mind are not aligned, our heart knows our position, but our mind looks at the circumstances and the storms in our life, and our mind takes over our heart. And it's in this, when we have these anxious feelings and this anxiety that comes up, it is that that the circumstances in our life define us instead of our heart and our position in Jesus. Do you know what anxiety does? Anxiety says that when I stand up here, uh, you judge me for what I say and I feel bad about it, and I'm worried that I'm not saying the right thing at the right time, and I might offend somebody. Uh, we, we have a son who has special needs, of course you know, and if you wanted to see what true anxiety would look like, try taking him out outside of his routine. It's a nightmare. You have to warn him of the things that are going to happen before so he can wrap his mind around the change in circumstances. But you see, when we're over here in our mind and we're looking at all the storms in our life, they become the focus and we lose our distraction and we begin to forget what's happening over here in our position in Jesus. We start telling ourselves that we're worthless and we're not worthy of doing the things that we do and we're not good enough, we're not smart enough. And it brought me to, to, the, to the other picture of over here where I'm in Christ, where I am a child of God and I know that I am worthy to be in this position because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. But sometimes when you're in the midst of the storm, you, you forget those things. You want a perfect example of this? What happened to Peter when he stepped out of the boat and Jesus called him onto the water? Who was right in front of him? Jesus. Where did, G where did Peter look? To the right and to the left. The Bible says he saw the waves and the storm that was around him, and he took his eyes off Jesus for a minute, and where was he? In the water. And he was reaching up, and he was crying out, save me. You see how the storms can pull us off what our position is. Look what the Bible says here in verse 6, and you... You be with me now, okay? Be anxious for some things. Is that what it says? It's okay to be anxious over a couple things in life. Is that what the text tells us? No. It says be anxious for nothing. All right? Because, because of our position in Jesus Christ, he says be anxious for nothing. Do you see? Do you see right here why you can't, have a secure mind unless you have the three other chapters before it? That you can't have a secure mind if you're not single-minded, which is your focus on Christ? You can't have a secure mind unless you are submitting and you are humble before God? You can't have a secure mind unless you have a spiritual mind, one that presses on to the prize. I want to take you uh, into uh, a scripture in the Old Testament. I want to show you uh, what happens to a wonderful man uh, in my favorite passage in the Bible uh, that shows what life can be like with anxious thoughts and how to respond. All right, so turn in your Bible to uh, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. All right, 2 Chronicles 
chapter 20. And Lord willing, we won't spend the rest of our time in 2 Chronicles because it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, let's look at this, this king and, and what happens to this king, all right? And we're going we're gonna to draw some things out of this that we're going to bring back to the book of Philippians for us to see. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab, the sons of Ammon, together with some of the uh, Meonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Uh, then some, of, some people came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea of Aram. And behold, they are at Hezazon Tamar, that is Engedi. Uh, they're not far away from where Jehoshaphat is right now. Uh, look at verse 3. Uh, Jehoshaphat was what? What does the text tell us there? He was afraid. Okay? Now think about this. Remember those guys that I put up on the screen? Was one of those feelings afraid? Fear. Why is he afraid? Because of the circumstances that have just been reported to him. Uh, there is an army coming against you, not just one group of people, but if you were to look on the map, completely surrounding them, and this army was about to come and make war with Jehoshaphat. His immediate response, he was afraid. Uh, circumstances driving feeling. Now look what happens when Jehoshaphat realizes these fears are coming up. Look what he does. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he turned his attention to do what? What does the text say? Seek the Lord. Uh, He turned his attention to seek the Lord and then he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together, oh, repeated words, oh, precept, I love repeated words. What's it say? All Judah gathered together, and what did they do? They sought the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Uh, When God wants you to know something, he repeats himself. And we're only looking at two verses right now, and in two verses, seek the Lord is three times. Okay, that's vital and that is important. Seek the Lord. Now look at what it says. Uh, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and he said, now listen to what he says in verses 6 to 12 and I promise you that maybe this will become one of your most favorite verses in all of scripture by the time we get to the end. He speaks and he prays to God and he says, Oh, the God, the Father, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heavens? Are you not the ruler of all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, oh, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel to give to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever? They have lived in it. They have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before the house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in distress, and you will hear us and you will deliver us. Do you see what he's doing there? See what Jehoshaphat's doing? This isn't just for God. Okay, this isn't just to to build up God's pride. God has all the glory already. This is to help Jehoshaphat remember who he serves. 
Aren't you the God? Are you the God of heavens? Are you the God who has power and might in your hand? Are you the God who has driven out the inhabitants of the land and then given it to Abraham forever? Are you a covenant God? All of these things that Jehoshaphat is laying out are things he's rhyming through his mind to help him remember who he serves. Then look what he says. Your name is in the sanctuary. We prayed to you that if evil or sword or pestilence would come against us, you would deliver us from that. Do you hear the prompt? Do you hear the knowledge of God that he has here? That when I cry out in distress, God will hear and he will deliver. Now look what he says to his father, God, in verse 10. Now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom did not let all Israel in You did not let all Israel invade. When they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out of what? Your possession. The thing that you own and gave to us. It's the inheritance that you gave us. These people are going to drive us out of it. O our God, verse 12, will you not judge them? Here here comes. You need to underline this. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you see it? You see what he's done there? The immediate thing that happened to him when he heard this army was coming against him was fear. He then sought the Lord. He didn't just do it himself. He brought all of Judah in to seek the Lord with him. He brought others to to come alongside to seek the Lord. They fasted so that their sole focus would be on being in the presence of God. And then they prayed. They reminded themselves and they reminded themselves of who God is, the God that they serve. And then they laid their petition out, which was the problem. And here's the thing. God already knew this army was coming against them. This is not news to God. But the greatest statement that's found in this text is Jehoshaphat says this, this, me, And our entire nation of Judah were powerless. We don't know what to do in this situation. But our eyes are on you. Now, what would that do for us if we were people that the moment these feelings and these circumstances came upon us, that we actually just went to God And we said, God, you know what? I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Uh, Look at verse 13. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Metaniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. God is going to answer their prayer. And look what he says. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours. It's whose? What's the text say? It's God's battle. (laughs) The first thing that God comes out of God's mouth is to actually counter the feeling that Jehoshaphat had. Don't fear. Why? It's not your fight. It's my fight. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but would that be enough for me to lose those feelings of fear? Because you know what? That army is still there. And they're still coming forward. This is all about trusting in God, trusting in his word. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and they worshiped him. The Levites from the sons of the Kohites and the sons of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Their response to God saying, this is not your battle to take on, was worship. Look what happens the next morning. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. They went out to Jehoshaphat, And Jehoshaphat said to them, Listen to me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Uh, When he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire And they went out before the army. And what did they do? Praised and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. As soon as they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were rooted. The sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Uh, E.M. Bounds is uh, an author uh, from the early 1900s, and he is sort of one of those gurus on prayer. All right, he's got uh, multiple books, uh, one called Transforming Prayer, And uh, he writes in his book that prayer moves the arm that moves the world. So so look what Jehoshaphat did. All right, so would would E.M. Bounds be out out of line saying that prayer moves the arm that moves the world? Well, when fear came upon Jehoshaphat, the first thing he did was sought the Lord and he cried out to God, And God responded by moving in his power to turn these armies to fight against each other while the inhabitants of Judah sang and praised and worshipped. And these armies started to kill each other. Uh, The story goes on. And the story goes on to tell us that after God defeated and destroyed all of these men, that the people of Judah started to walk in amongst all of the people who had been slain and started gathering up all their gold and silver, as the Bible says, their plunder. And they were blessed with all of these material things and spoil because of their faithfulness to the Lord. So let's go back to to Philippians and keep uh, reminding yourself of what Jehoshaphat said in verse 12. Jehoshaphat said, uh, we don't know what to do, but we'll keep our eyes on you. So let's let's apply this now, okay? So uh, he says, but be anxious for nothing. All right, the word but then in verse 6 is a contrast, okay? So it's two different things that are going to happen. One is you can choose to be anxious and do all of these things, but he says don't be anxious. He says be anxious for nothing, and then he says, but in everything, by what? What's that word there? Prayer. 
What did Jehoshaphat do the moment that fear came upon him? He prayed. He sought the Lord and he prayed. So I want to um, spend a couple minutes on prayer for a minute. And I I want you to think that prayer, about prayer. I want you to think about prayer in a different way. Because what we're looking at here in prayer is not a simple prayer of running to God and quickly laying down your grocery list of items that you want to pray for or to pray for so-and-so who needs to be saved and pray for that person who's sick and pray, pray all these things. What Paul is telling us here is that Paul wants us to rest in the presence of God and pray. And here's how we do that. We look at the example of Jehoshaphat. And what Jehoshaphat did when he prayed was he first sought the Lord and then he spent time in worship. Do you see it? Oh God, aren't you the one? Aren't you the covenant God? You are the one who fulfills promises. You are the one who keeps his word. You are the one who who restored. You are the one who sacrificed his son on the cross for my salvation. You are the one who has done this. You give all glory and all praise and everything to God and spend time worshiping him in prayer. Folks, if if you were following along, In the book of Daniel, we saw Daniel do this when Daniel opened the windows of his house and he began to pray for all to see. He started his prayer with worship. He focused on the greatness of God. He reminded himself of the one who he serves. You see, Jehoshaphat just didn't run out and give off. Help me, Lord, with those people. They're coming. Thank you. Amen. I'm out. He didn't do that. He sought the Lord. He fasted. He brought others with him. And he put all of their focus and attention on being in the presence of God. This is what Paul means by prayer. He means that you get into a place where you can spend time with him, where you're not going to be distracted by others, and you can focus on the promises that come from God's word. Worship him in prayer. Now look at the next part of this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Uh, Supplication is is simply to to lay out our hearts, desires, and our needs before God. And so we saw Jehoshaphat do that. Uh, But what Paul wants us to understand is that when we lay out our needs before God, we beg God to do something big. We beg God to to work in a way like Jehoshaphat. We're powerless. We don't know what to do, God. But our eyes are on you. You see, this, this army is coming against us. How does that work with anxiousness? Well, when we first begin to to feel those anxious thoughts and those things that are not aligned with our heart's position, but they are solely within our mind, how do we reset? How do we realign? We go to God in prayer. And we remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done for us. And as we reset our minds to focus on who God is, we can then lay out our petitions to him. 
uh, these verses. I was telling some, some folks this week, and I was saying it to my wife on the way here. I said, I cannot walk through Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, without thinking of a lady who mentored both Jessica and I. And she, she passed away a number of years ago, but she taught us one little thing that has been so valuable to our lives, and that is to write the promises of God on a recipe card. Why would you do that? Why would you write the promises of God on a, res- a recipe card? Well, for the ladies, she would say, put it in your purse. Right? And I'd be like, I'm a guy. I don't carry recipe cards. Put it on your phone. But anytime anxious feelings would come, you'd take that card out and you'd start flipping through it. And on every card was a verse that helped remind us of who the character of God was. And then you know what happened after a while? Didn't need the cards anymore. Why? Started to memorize. You started to know when those feelings were starting to come that were not feelings that help us to remember that we are positioned in Christ. They're solely things that are developed out of our minds, out of the circumstances we face, and we need to realign and realign by these cards and remember God is sovereign. God is in control. God is most high. God is the one who saves. God is the one who provides. All of those things, and you sit back and go, yes, I'm resetting my mind on who God is and what he has done for me. And then we can plead our case before God. Now look at the next part, because this all brings about an equation for how we can battle the anxiousness that we face in circumstances. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Uh, What's the last one? So I know you're still with me. What is it? Thanksgiving. Uh, Here's what I want you to understand now, okay? When you are in the most difficult days, when you are being involved or evolved, all of these things that come out of these feelings, everything that you're feeling over here in the mind, this is the hardest one. This thanksgiving takes a real faith to understand and thank God in all circumstances. This is why you can't truly have a secure mind unless you really understand the previous three chapters. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be thankful to God in all circumstances. Okay, so let me build this equation for you, okay? So the math equation goes like this, okay? So uh, first, prayer plus supplication plus thanksgiving equals verse 7. All right? So uh, prayer plus supplication, plus thanksgiving equals peace. Do you see it? you see it in the text there? So, so what is the peace of God? Uh, the peace of God uh, is, a, uh, as scholars would say, and as Paul is telling us, is an inner calm. Okay, it's a calm that is within side of us, that we are not rocked by the circumstances we have in life. Uh, look at with me uh, Romans chapter eight, uh, verse twenty-eight. Romans chapter eight, uh, verse twenty-eight. Some of you probably are like, oh, I know this verse. I've got it. Got it on a t-shirt. Verse 28, and we know that God 
causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Again, 28, does it say some things or does it say all things? So, all things that God works for the good. So this week, I had an opportunity, and uh, I won't spend too much time on this. I had an opportunity to uh, teach the book of Job. Y'all know the story of the book of Job? Job uh, suffering greatly, uh, not because he did anything, but God saw that he was righteous and let Satan touch not only his family and take his family all away, but to touch his body and fill it with boils from head to toe. And then I don't know if that was the greater suffering, losing his family, losing uh, his health, or was the greater suffering dealing with his friends? Because his friends were brutal. They just told him he'd sinned that this was God's retribution upon Job's life for his sin. Uh, all circumstances are for the good. I just want to tell you about one family that I had in this book of jo- in this Job program this week. So how do you wrap your head around God works all circumstances for good? Well, there was a a lady and her sister who were in this uh, class, and uh, her husband is a pilot, and he is a logging helicopter pilot, which I had no idea that they lift heavy, heavy, heavy trees out of the forests in British Columbia by a helicopter. And uh, this helicopter ran into a problem And it crashed. And this woman's husband was at the bottom of the Powell River, 600 meters underwater, uh, and was recovered last week. And the crash happened on October 5th. And so here I was uh, teaching through the book of Job, and I knew that this woman was in the class. And I knew Uh, what was going on in her life. And we're walking through Job and we're seeing how Job's friends are speaking and saying, you know, this thing in your life happened because this is your heart. And you're looking and going, okay, well, man, you don't even know the situation, friends. These friends of Job's had no idea of the conversation that God and Satan had in chapters one and two. But their immediate response was, You are a sinner. Get your heart right with God. It's funny, these ladies, they're they're farmers. So, you know, it reminded me a lot of you folks. And uh, they went to to a feed place. I have no idea how all this works, okay? They went to a place to get some feed for the cattle. Is this right, Brian? You go to a store to get feed for a cattle, all right? So anyway, they went there and they talked about how Uh, Gary had passed away in this helicopter crash, and the first thing that the feed store owner said was, are you selling the farm? You know what? She emailed me and messaged me in the little Zoom chat all week. She was so thankful to be in the study, but she kept typing to me, Romans 8, 28. Huh. How can you say that? That this here, her husband passed away, everything's up in the air, and yet they're saying God works all circumstances for good. Uh, in the midst of this grief and mourning that is coming through the mine, and hearts are breaking over the loss of this man, she has peace. Why? Because when these feelings come, she goes to God and reminds herself of who God is. 
She lays her supplications before God. And she sits in the presence of God, knowing that the Lord is near, whether it be with her, as we know the Holy Spirit is with her, or whether Jesus is coming back soon. But she knows that Gary is present with the Lord. Do you see it? Do you see how it's played out in our lives? That when we have these circumstances that come up upon us, we first, we go to God in prayer. We give everything to him in prayer. We ask him of our needs and we thank him for the position that we are in and we will have peace. Now look what it tells us. This peace, it surpasses all comprehension. We cannot even wrap our minds around the peace that we will have from God in these circumstances. It's beyond what we can ever comprehend. In the book of Job, there is a man by the name of Elihu, and Elihu comes and he sits with Job, and he runs through the character of God, and then God responds, and he asks Job multiple questions about who he is and what his character is, at which Job says, I can't even respond to you. I'm going to shut my mouth and bow before you because God is not fully comprehensible. He's so much bigger than we are. We will never fully understand him or the circumstances that we go through, but that we just need to submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God to know that he works all circumstances for his good. Uh, Look what this piece does for us, and then we're going to wrap up. This piece does two things, but it's really one thing. All right? First, this peace guards our heart. And the second thing that this peace does is that it guards our minds. Uh, What Paul is telling us here, that really what God's peace does is that it protects us inside. All right? The, The inside of us, both our heart's and our minds are protected in Christ Jesus. Uh, This peace gives us the inner calm we need to be able to deal with all that's happening over here. So uh, quickly, just so you know, uh, this can be uh, both the way that we deal with anxiety and anxiousness and these feelings of circumstances that we have over here. This can be the uh, cure for the moment and it can be the cure of it all when we keep our eyes focused on God. So I want to just leave you with the statement that Jehoshaphat made and I want you to understand this, okay? I know All right, I include myself in this as one who does respond to the circumstances of life. And that one who always needs to be reminded to realign to this position. We all have to deal with that. Some of us maybe more than others but we all are in a position where we we have to continually reset. And we do that by the way that Jehoshaphat did it. And we lift up our hands and we say, guess what? God, we're powerless. We don't know what to do, but we'll keep our eyes on you. So, so what do you take away from this week? Here it is. Okay, when you, are, when you have life circumstances come upon you, whatever they are, use the equation. It's as simple as that. All right? Use the equation. Try it out. First, pray. Spend time and worship God in prayer. Remind yourself of who God is. Second, put your needs before God through supplication and be thankful for the position you are in. And when you do these three things, all right, prayer plus supplication plus 
Thanksgiving equals peace. Don't we all want that? Don't we all want that inner peace to know that God is in control and that he works all circumstances for good? This is how you get it. This is how you get into a position where your heart and your position in Christ overtake your mind. It's only done through the power and the peace of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for what you are showing us in the scriptures today. Father, I can't help but stop and pause and think about what we've been going through as a world over the last couple of years. How our world seems to be driven more and more by feelings and how we respond to different circumstances in our life. Father, we know that uh, we know the right answer is to be positioned and remind ourselves of that position in you. But Father, when we're in the deepest of the deep hole, when we're in the valley, that's when we need the reminder to be standing in your position. So Father, I pray that uh, if there's anybody here in the room today and they're, they're in that valley within their life right now, they're overwhelmed by anxiousness and fear and anger and sadness and disgust, all of these things that are going on, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would just prod at our hearts. Help us to remember our position in you. But Father, not, a, not only that, help us to to be people that don't walk this path alone. Jehoshaphat didn't walk the path alone. He had people come alongside him and they prayed together and they fasted. They lifted up their voices to you and the battle became yours. This is our prayer, Lord, that the battle would be yours, that our focus would be on you, that we would remember our position in Jesus that we would lay everything at the foot of the cross knowing that the battle is yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.